them, says the Lord. Do not touch their filthy things, and I will welcome you. Verse 18 says, I will be your father, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Almighty. And so God made several promises in there to the people. And again, when we talk about separation, God was not telling us to go and live in a commune somewhere or things of that nature. He was just trying to tell us that earlier he talked about them being unequally yoked. And so therefore, what we have to realize is we do need to weigh the relationships that we're in. And if you're in a relationship where that relationship may not be uh, a relationship with a, in an enterprise that everybody's godly people, so therefore you got to make sure if you have to deal with them that you deal with from the standpoint of having an upper hand, meaning that they can't put you in a position where you fall away from what you believe in just because you want to maintain that relationship with them. So Paul was not telling us to go and live in a convent or live in a, some type of uh, like monks on a hill or something. He wasn't saying that. But God is really telling us we got to be aware of practices that don't uh, line up with what the word of God says. Amen. So now look, at then he started in chapter seven. He says, because we have these promises, the things I just read from the previous chapters, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit. And let us work toward complete holiness because we fear God. Man, that's a powerful verse there. Uh, he got some words in there that kind of, you know, make it look like this ain't easy to do. Because he says now, we have promises, and because of these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile not just your body major, but your spirit. There's some things we can do to our body that defile it, but there are some things that we can do that defile our spirit. That's why you just can't take in everything. Every type of entertainment is not for you, especially if your spirit is weak. You know, things that can get into you that, and, and, and sometimes we take that lightly and don't realize the influence that things have on our spirit. So he says that we got to cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile your body or spirit. And then he says, let us work. Somebody say work. You're not going to get to holiness without work. Amen. You, you just ain't going to wake up and try to be holy. A little try to live holy. It ain't going to happen. You got to. And if you don't put in the work, it ain't going to happen. Because the war that goes on on the inside of you is going to always be battling you. And that war is normally your opponent is not trying to urge you to be holy. Amen. So with this Bible stuff, so we can talk about this now. So he says, you got to work toward complete. And that, when I saw that, I said, that's going to scare some folks. Complete holiness. I mean, somebody going to read this. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know, Pastor Bolden is not foolish enough to think that any of us have arrived at that complete holiness. But you got to work. I mean, you can't wait, work at being complete ungodly. So you got to work at it. We serve a holy God. So therefore, he expects us to work toward. And, 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 and if many believe, and I do too, you're never going to achieve perfect holiness in this life, in this body. 
because there's going to always be something out there that can cause you to trip. That's why he give us a way back, say, hey, look, if you make a mistake, if you stumble and fall, you just confess your sins, he's faithful and just forgive you all unrighteousness. It's a constant battle. However, we shouldn't be tripping over the same thing because now that tripping don't look like a mistake. It look like practice. So, Pastor. Yes. What is complete holiness? That complete there is talking about being mature trying to grow up to maturity, to the fullness of who God wants you to be, to the image of Christ. So that, uh, and that means that, you know, as Christians, God has made it clear, he do expect us to grow. That's why we start off with babes, and he talk about being on milk, and then all the way till we get to adulthood. So it's a, it's a process. But it don't happen if you don't work at it. Brother Herb? Now, what is the difference between uh, the work, uh, what is what I'm trying to say, in the Old Testament, you know, you go by the law, where we know that a lot of the people was doing work, working at, trying to be, trying to be uh, of the law. If you understand what I'm saying, we... The difference is, I'm asking you, what is the difference between that type of work, you know, by the law, you're working yourself by the law, and the, and the work he's talking about? Well, here, the main difference here is he's not talking about from the standpoint of salvation. This is taken from the standpoint that you're already saved. You, you're not working to get eternal life. You got that by faith. And so it, under the law, they tried to do things that they could never keep. They could never keep the law perfect, so that's why Jesus had to come. So now, as a result of that, we work, but we're not working to get saved. We, we're working to try to live right because we are saved. And so now he's just telling us, hey, you got to work toward this complete wholeness because we fear God. Now, fear just talks about us having a a reverence and respect for God. And if we reverence and respect him, then we should try to live in a way that will honor him, that will be in obedience to what he requires us. Does it mean that we're going to be perfect? No. At, at any given time, we can make a mistake. But at least you got to work towards something. And you can't work toward that if you don't separate yourself from some of the things he talked about in the last chapter. I mean, if all your friends are ungodly, you can say what you want. But if all your friends are ungodly, you ain't got no friend that loves the Lord in your call list or whatever. You're all your friends, are, I guarantee you, if all your friends are ungodly, there's a lot of ungodly in you. Y'all, you ain't, especially if all your friends are ungodly. Now, I ain't saying you can't have friends that are not, God, that, are not that have to be godly, but look, you, you, you can't be yoked up to folk like that to the point that they're going to influence you away from what you believe and how God wants you to live. 
And so he, he just saying that we got to be careful. That's what he was trying to warn them in the last chapter. Y'all got to be careful. God had put some things in place so that you will have the upper hand when it comes to your relationship. And he ain't talking about just your boyfriend, girlfriend. Right? Man, he take this all the way to, to business relationships. There's some partnerships you don't want to get in with certain folks that you know are crooks and ungodly. Even though you make, may, may make a lot of money by being in that deal. You got to say, hey, you know, ungodly game. Brother Mike? Yes, uh, the Bible is told, told us in Galatians chapter 5 that we are in a battle. So now you're talking about what we have to work to achieve. The flesh and the spirit is always in a battle. It was not in a battle before you received Christ. But when you come to Christ, there's a battle. There's a fight. There's a war going on between the flesh and the spirit. And the one that you obey, that's the one that's going to control. So in other words, if you are if you give the spirit the preeminence or the authority, then the flesh will be under subjection. And then you can grow mightily in your spirit. And if you give the flesh the control, then the flesh take over the spirit, and the, and the one you fit the most, that's the one that dominates. Amen. So that's, that's how we're going to win, is the one we fit the most. Amen. And, and, and so that's why it's important, you know, to, to, you got to have a balanced life. I mean, you can't stop worldly stuff from coming in your life, but you can make sure you bring some godly stuff in along with the worldly stuff. At least give your spirit a fighting chance. But if we, if we don't do the things that, that it required to build up our spirit, if you don't have a, a prayer life, you don't meditate, you don't study God's word, and then you think that you're just going to get by because you come to church on Sunday, man, you, 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 you fighting against six to one odds. You think one day a week going to win that fight that Brother Mike talking about? It ain't going to happen. So, you know, we got all these gadgets now, your playlists and all the stuff you're listening to while you're walking, while you're doing whatever. Some of it got to be godly. I mean, I, I try to walk every day, and when I'm walking three miles, man, you know, I ain't listening to Jay-Z. <laughs> Even though he may be good to walk to, but I ain't, I ain't listening to him. I'm listening to somebody that's talking about something that's going to feed my spirit. So I'm not telling you what to listen to, but I'm just telling you, you just can't listen to all worldly stuff and think it ain't getting in you. Amen. And so he's saying, now look, you, gotta, you can't let stuff not only defile your body, I ain't even talking about what we do to our body sometimes, you know, and, and I'm not, don't get, don't, get, don't get me wrong, I know it's too late to, the tattoo demon and left. He already in the world. <laughs> I, I, I can't say the tattoo demon. So I ain't talking about what people do in their body now. But if I believe this is a temple, even if I do get a tattoo, it got to be representative of the temple. I just can't put anything on the temple. I mean that. I mean, you just can't go out there and get something with some horns on it and cause it's just a nice looking tattoo. Say, so, you know, I think that'll look good on my thigh. No, <laughs> no. Not if you see your body as the. So I'm not anti-tattoo. I used to be, still sort of kind of, because the Old Testament do talk about marking your body up, but that, that horse already running now. 
I'm just trying to stop y'all from getting ungodly tattoos. Something that when you get saved, your friends get saved, they got to take it off. Let me move on. Because <laughs> he did say your body, right? And your spirit. People can identify more with your body than they can with your Amen. And the reason he had to say that because, again, when you go back and read the culture and, the, and how the Corinthians were, they were doing a lot of things that went against the things that Paul was teaching. So now he comes down to verse 2 and he kind of transitions. He says, please open your hearts to us. You know, last chapter he talked about how they had closed their heart. They was hard. So now he's kind of pleading them to open their hearts and we're going to see that they eventually will. And he's going to celebrate that. But he says, please open your hearts to us. That'd be like me standing up and saying, man, I'm doing my best to teach y'all all I know about the word of God to the best of my ability. Please open your hearts up. Don't get mad at me because I made a joke about the tattoo. Pastor in there just picking on me. I don't even, I don't even know if you got one. It just came to me, let's talk about tattoos. And normally it drops like that. Somebody online need to hear because y'all in here don't need to hear that. But somebody online need to hear because they may be going to go get a tattoo tomorrow. And I'm not trying to stop them, but I just say, you know, put your mom on there. Yeah, put your mom on your own. Put somebody on there that brought you into the world. Amen. If you're going to get one. I'm not advocating get one, but if you're going to get one. So he says to them, like Pastor Bolden, Please open your heart. Don't, don't close your heart when the word of God starts to come forth. When the word of God is being presented, he was telling them, please open your hearts. He says, look, we have not done, done wrong to anyone. We came and taught you what the word of God said, taught you God's word, taught the good news, and we didn't wrong no one. We didn't take advantage of anyone. They, and the reason you have to go here because if you've been following us, they was accusing Paul of being a false teacher. Accusing him of taking advantage of the people, manipulating the people and all that. So he's trying to bring that to their memory. Say, look, we, didn't, we, we have not done wrong to anyone, nor have we led anyone astray. And see, that's the number one thing I always try to do, man. You know, even though I know I am, I, I'm not perfect by any means, man, when I stand up to teach, I do try to stay close to the text, to the scripture. I don't try to nuance it so I can justify a little sin just because I, I, I don't want to read that because it may offend major. Because I don't want to lead nobody astray. The Bible is very clear on some things. And the things that the Bible is clear on, we need to have to accept that or not. But you can't want me not to accept what I consider to be true. So he says, now look, we have not done wrong to anyone, nor led anyone astray. And I can tell you right now, I just go out online and just look at some, some services that people go into. There's a lot of folks who don't study the Bible are being led astray today. Because you can go to some churches, they don't open the word up, not one time, it's all about the performance, and you never get a good scripture, you get a good message that make you feel good, but you ain't getting nothing that's going to feed your spirit. So you can win that spiritual battle, win that spiritual warfare. And I ain't knocking nobody how they do it, but every now and then, if the Bible is the source, you got to use the Bible. And if Jesus is a star, somewhere during the course of the month, you got to talk about Jesus. You just can't go to church and never hear 
Jesus. If I was in the Muslim faith, I guarantee you we wouldn't go without calling Allah. We're going to pray to him seven times a day. And so why is it when we come to our faith, you know, we minimize Jesus? So he said, we didn't do you wrong, nor do we lead you astray, nor do we take advantage. And if you have to say all that, that means even before you got to the time that we're living in now, people have been going to religious gatherings. I won't call them churches all the time because churches was a kind of late comer. Religious gatherings and getting taken advantage of. If you don't know, you can get taken advantage of. And I remember when the taking advantage of movement was popular. And we went to them. We went to those movies. I've been a part of them, man, where you, you're there, you're caught up in the moment, but you don't know till you leave. You've just been had. You done laid something down to somebody's feet that you didn't intend to lay. But because I set the atmosphere and could talk Major out his seat, and everybody who around Major like Major, if I keep talking, Major followers are going to follow him too. Now, I ain't knocking that, but what I'm trying to say, if that was from God, it will be still done today. Why do you think you don't see people out there talking about throwing money at people's feet now? That was a movement. That was a trend. It was trending. It was popular. And sooner or later, folk woke up and they had to move on. So the game is still out there. You just got to know what game is being played now. Get a mic, Major. I mean, like, before you were saved, you came from the street, so you know when you were introduced, you couldn't be no different. I mean, the thing you have the Holy Spirit to help you, you wouldn't you be sitting there going, man, I ain't no better. Well, I know better than that. And he just, I said, no, nah, man, I don't care how you get up. Like, no, you can't do it. You tell me, get up, throw a thousand dollars into the kingdom, but you don't get Somebody will. Somebody will. Because here's, here's the deal. And, and I, again, I don't want to talk what used to be trade secrets. See, if Major, if I got you and Fred and Jimmy together, say, look, here's the deal. When I get up and make the appeal, I need for all three of y'all to get up. And, and I need for y'all to come lay the $1,000 up here. Make it, you know, be spiritual. Dance with it a little bit. Led down believers. Now, I'm going to give yours back when it's over. You get yours back. I just need you to start the movement. And once you start the movement, I'll get the rest of them out there see. Because I'm going to start at 1,000, but I'm going to work it down to 10. So everybody's going to feel like they just got to get up there. Don't sit here and try to play me. Some of y'all done went up there at, at these conferences and throw money down to folks. On the street, the hustle. On the street. The hustle on the street. And it's just like you said, so what they'll do is they'll have somebody go up there and try, and then they'll win. And then everybody else that tries loses. Because it's a trick. I can say But Pastor, even though you know those three people went up there, the Holy Spirit living inside of you, shouldn't there be some conviction that takes place that say, hey, 
this is not the right way to go? No, because I'm going to find a scripture in the Bible that says okay. They, they laid the money, at, they took the collection and they laid the money at the apostles' feet. And I'll be your man of God. So now, if you want to be blessed, you come later at my feet. And some Christians, oh, that's in the Bible. Pastor. Yeah. I think sometimes what in my own personal opinion, sometimes the most people who, the people who are the most susceptible are newly converted Christians or people who are desperate and they're looking for an answer. And so, like you say, if Major get up and bring you $10,000 and I'm looking for a specific blessing or I'm actively seeking God and then you telling me all I got to do is instead of giving 10 like Major, give 100 and God gonna answer my prayer is the manipulation of it. So a lot of times it's more out of desperation or lack of knowledge because as a new Christian, you may not have your um, relationship with the Holy Spirit as developed as a mature Christian, especially if you're still learning and you're still trying to figure this thing out and you just came from the streets to the church. Well, you know, and, and that's a good point. That's an excellent point. And, and, and I do think that sometimes people think that they can buy something from God. When the Bible never talked about us buying blessings from God, he said to bless our obedience. Now, there's nothing wrong with giving and being a good giver because the Bible supports that. But it's wrong when somebody manipulates you and take advantage of you in the name of the Lord. And they use games and schemes to get from you for their own personal gain. When the disciples did that in Acts, they was getting it for the poor to take care of all the folks that was there. It wasn't for the man of God. They were supposed to distribute it. That's why we came up with deacons, so they could take care and distribute it like it should have been distributed. And so, and so what happens is now, you know, and, and I understand, I done been there, so I'm not talking about something I don't know. I done been there. I done been in the congregation. I done seen people raise $250,000 in 10 minutes. In 10 minutes. In 10 minutes. With the first row of preachers starting off with $10,000 pop. And, and then I see who those 10 are and who they, where they go after the thing and who they hang with. And okay, them the boys. They started to rolling because we know next, week, we, next month we're going to be at his church and we're going to do the same thing. So I'm not knocking that, but you just need to be aware you can't buy something from God when you can obey him. I don't have a problem with people giving. I just don't like to see people manipulated into giving by saying, okay, everybody on this row, I believe God done told everybody on this row, they got to give $50. Well. And, and Pastor, once I was in a conference, and because of the person that was presenting, their influence, and he started out by saying, you know, I need $50. And because of who it was, he had that influence or that impact which caused people within the congregation to want to do that. Yeah. No influence. And, 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 and the same things that can use, be used to influence people in the world, some of those things work their way into the church. I always say the church is a microcosm of the world, so just to, you know, on a smaller degree. And all I'm trying to do is educate you. I ain't got no problem with you giving because giving is something we ought to do. You ought to start by tithing first. How are you going to go and lay $1,000 down somebody's feet and you don't even tithe at your own church? Just think about that. 
You at the conference now, all of a sudden, you got the spirit that came of giving just came over you. And then, and then we have offering here every week, and the spirit just don't come over you. <laughs> that, that's what I'm trying to say. If you, if you don't know, you, you, you can be easily duped into following something that may not necessarily be true. And that's why Paul had to come at. I'm just saying what he's saying. You have to kind of go back and read the first Corinthians and, and hear all the things they were saying about him to understand what he's doing now as he's trying to get to the point where he can, uh, you know, forgive these folks when he sees they repent. He says, I didn't lead nobody astray, nor did I take advantage of anyone. Asking you for tithe and offering is not taking advantage of you. God asks, requires you to give your tithe, and he expects us to give offerings when we're blessed. Just that simple. But anything above that, free will, and anything you want to do, you can do whatever you want. You can be benevolent in any place. You don't have to wait to come to church to be benevolent. You can see a need on your job, in your community, and you can meet that need. And God will honor that. But our motivation for meeting the need can't be because I think because I do this, then now I'm expecting God to give me $1,000 back because I done sold $10 in this person's life. No, your motivation ain't right. And so what he says, he said, look, I didn't lead anyone astray nor taken advantage of anyone. So he was kind of saying, hey, these are the things people said I'm doing, so I need to make sure that I'm clear. You know, I tell people all the time, one thing about Pastor Bowling, you don't have to worry about me stealing from Strive. Because money has never been a motivated thing for me. And I have access to every access of the books in this church. And if I really wanted to cook the books, I could. Because the people here trust me. And so because of that level of trust, they know I'm not a thief. And so what I'm trying to say is that if a person's motivation for doing certain things is driven by money, people steal from the church just like they steal from any other organization. So he says, so we ain't taking advantage of no one. He said, now look at verse 3. He says, I'm not saying this to condemn you. So some of y'all can come on down. <laughs> Sell down. <laughs> if you done been to the conference and you done got... Gave, I ain't, I ain't I, hey, look, I did it too. I tell y'all my testimony. When we went out to Houston, and they told all the preachers to get in the $1,000 line. And when I saw all the rest of them get up there, I got up there too. Because I didn't want to be the only one sitting, because they had us all sitting in the same section, and if you the last one sitting there, everybody know you the only one that get up. So now guilt, you say, I got to go get in line. I'm the only dude still sitting there. And when I get there, they started off with the five thousand dollars, five thousand. Every preacher, five, five, five. And I'm saying, I ain't giving them five thousand dollars, but I'm in line. I got to give them something. <laughs> I never forget this. I remember it like it was yesterday. So Mose Johnson, Gene Ginn, Greg Patrick, John Fennell, the leaders of striving that went out there with me. I look back up in the stands at them guys. I'm in line, not doc. I, I got to get something. I ain't got time for no board meeting. Y'all tr trust me? And so when I got up there, I pledged it. Bam. I think it was two grand. 
They didn't even have to have no vote. They just kind of, and I think they, in their heart, they were glad that my pastor didn't get up there and say $5. So I know how the game is played. I ain't just talking. I know how the game is played. They've been a part of it. But when I started looking behind the scenes and saw, because I'm a very observant guy, I saw who sit on the front row every time. And I saw who go to the back room with the host. I figured that out. So I said, okay. Yeah, that's the inner circle. These guys are the insiders. They know how this game is played, and they know how to do it amongst themselves. And and again, I ain't knocking it. It is no different even when I was in a little Baptist church. You invited preachers to your church based on the size of their church and the size of their choir. And how much money you figure you can raise when they come. You a little guy, you ain't going to give a 10 you get no invite. Speak on anniversary? No. I got to get somebody here who got got a following. So, and I'm not knocking it, but I'm just saying sometimes those things are done to take advantage of people. You know, Major said earlier, you know, when we were in the world, we knew game. Is that why the Bible say that the people of the world are wiser than the children of the kingdom? Because we don't recognize that game sometimes until later on. When we were out there in the world, we recognize game a lot of times right off. And I think sometimes you come to church, you don't expect game. You come with expectation that, hey, the church is going to operate like God wants to operate. Ain't nobody going to steal in the church. Ain't nobody going to do this. Everybody going to do things like God wants to do. And when people come in with that mindset, it's easy for them to become gullible. Okay? And again, y'all, you know, y'all watch wildly. I'm just sharing some stuff with you so when you see the game being played, you can say, Pastor told me about that one. I mean, early on, man, I used to keep my TV on, Christian TBN, 24-7. I slept with it on. And in the middle of the night, some everybody come on there. You know, some freaks come on there that be selling everything. And you wake up out of the sleep saying, you know, the man of God said now, if you hear this, you say, wow, that sounds like he's talking to me. So the next thing you know, you're writing a check, so on the scene. Because you just, you think you woke up just to hear that. And now you're thinking, okay, God going to bless me because I did that. And I never got the hundredfold return. So what I'm trying to tell you is that be wise. I'm not trying to tell you who to listen to, but just listen and see, do they line up things with the word? They gotta at least have the word as a foundation, as a, as, a, as a reference point. Even if we go and pontificate on a lot of other things, you gotta come back to something in the scripture so the people have something to stand on. He says, Now I'm not saying this to condemn you. I said before that you are in our hearts and we live or die together with you. So he said, Look, man, I really love this church. I really love you guys, in spite of how y'all treated me. Y'all in my heart. I'm not saying these things to put you down, to condemn you, or do anything like that, because you got to understand, sometimes you love folks, you just got to tell them like it is. Amen. I think sometimes because we, 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 we love people, we do them a disservice when we don't tell them the truth sometimes. And the Bible gives us permission that we got to know how to tell the truth in love, but a lot of times, you just, we get afraid 
Because a lot of times we do believe the movie. Most folk can't handle the truth. But if your friends say, speak to me truthfully, why would you lie? You don't think that major say they don't really mean it? Well, you got to believe they want to hear the truth. And nowadays, I don't know, some of y'all young people help me out. Because when I was coming up, we didn't know we each had our own truth to tell. But every now and then, I hear people that, I just got to get my truth out there. Okay, what, what that mean? My truth is, well, what is your truth? I mean, I just, I want to, everybody got their truth now. So now, guess what? When you bring your truth into the body of Christ, you got to bounce your truth off the truth. Your truth may work out there in the streets, but it may not work in the kingdom. Oh, I know y'all get quiet right there. <laughs> but I hear that a lot now. Because we were coming, I don't know how we would have said that. Some of y'all older people, maybe we said it a different way. Maybe we were saying the same, then they use a different word. But everybody's into their own truth now. So that means the truth is relative then to whoever you are, whatever you want to believe. That's your truth. Oh, let me move on. I want to start no controversy right here, but let me say. He said, now, so I want to make sure that you understand that you're in our heart and we live or die together with you. He said, man, I'm close. It's almost like he said we were ride or die church. You know, I founded this church. I founded you guys. I know we done fell out. We done fought in the first letter. But look here, man, you guys are still near and dear to my heart. And I would die together with you. That's just how connected we are that I'm willing to die right along with you guys. Especially if you're trying to do what God called you to do. Look what he said in verse 4. I have the highest confidence in you. In other words, Major, he wouldn't have said that in the first letter because he didn't have much confidence in him. But now his confidence level has gone up because they're starting to show some signs of growth. So he says, I have the highest confidence in you and I take great pride in you. You have greatly encouraged me and made me happy despite all the troubles. Y'all put me through hell. But in spite of all that, I'm greatly encouraged. Why? Because I see you growing. He said, I see you guys starting to grow now and I forget about all the hell y'all put me through in the first letter. And you got to go back and read the first Corinthians see what he's talking about and have an understanding. And some of the things he went through when you read the book of Acts when he got to Corinth. So when you understand, he said, look, in spite of all y'all put me through, man, I still love you guys. I, 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 I'm greatly encouraged and I'm happy despite all our troubles. Now, you know, that will work in your natural relationships with some folks that you ain't happy with. If you can just get the guts to say, in spite of all you put me through. <laughs> in spite of all you put me through. I'm greatly encouraged, and I'm going to ride or die with you. In spite of all the troubles you put me through. That's serious. We, we cut folk loose day. You get, you get un, unlike, unfriend, whatever they do to you, bam, you're gone. You, you can't, can't even call them no more. They'll block you. You've been blocked, bam. 
So we, we ain't going to play it in spite of all you put me through. But Paul is saying, in spite of all the troubles, and again, I'm, I'm not doing this a good service because in order to understand this, you would have had to be with when we went through all them other books to know exactly what he's talking about, how these folks really put him through some troubles. Now look at this. Now we get to, in verse 5 through 7, we start getting to him talking about uh, their change and their turn when they start to repent. And repentance is still the key thing for us today. You know, when we err, God still expects us to repent. Say, have godly sorrow. Have godly sorrow that's going to lead to a change in behavior. It's one thing to repent because we got caught, but it's another thing we repent because our heart has really been cut by what we've done. So now I'm godly sorrow, but godly sorrow must be followed up by corresponding action. Just can't tell God I'm sorry, and then we turn around and do the same thing over again. So look what he says here. He says, when we arrived in Macedonia, there was no rest for us. We faced conflict from every direction. I mean, the Jews were trying to get him and the Gentiles. If you understand when we went through the book of Acts, you will find out that there were some people that followed Paul around. Everywhere he went, they followed him, stirring up mess. So he says, now we had conflicts on, from every direction, with battles on the inside, outside, excuse me, and fear on the inside. So a couple of things here. So Paul said, I was having external issues, and those external issues were so strong that they was messing up my internals. And, and, and it lets me know here that fear is a natural emotion. And I know sometimes we come to church, we think that no Christian is supposed to experience fear, but fear is a natural emotion. Sometimes fear is good. Amen. But, but fear that make you think that there's a demon behind every door you go into is not good fear. Amen. Because I know some people think everything's a demon. A demon here, a demon there. I can't go here and I got to anoint this room. You anointed. You walk in there. The demon, you gonna, he ain't going to mess with you. Come on. So that type of fear is not good fear. I may be fearful of snakes, but man, I'm in my house. And I ain't seen one in my house in 25 years. Ever. So I shouldn't walk in there looking for snakes. But if I was in the jungle in Africa, yeah. That fear factor don't go way up. Because there could be a snake everywhere. And so that's what you got to understand. He said, look, man, I'm troubled, and I'm also experiencing fear on the inside. So there are some things that can come in your life that can cause that emotion of fear to rise up. And so what we have to do when that happens is not give in to the fear, but we have to apply God's word to the fear and believe that God said, I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. So no matter what you're going through, I'm going to be there with you. Don't mean that you're not going to tremble while you're going through it, but it's going to give you some comfort knowing that he's with you while you're going through it. So, so he was going through some things. He says, now, he says, We've, we arrived in Macedonia. Uh, we arrived in Macedonia. There was no rest for us. We faced conflict 
in every direction and battles on the outside and fear on the inside. But look here. But God, who encourages those who are discouraged, encouraged us by the arrival of Titus. He said, man, look here. When, when I needed some encouragement, God sent my boy Titus. And Titus had carried the letter to the Corinthians, and Paul thought that, you know, in that last chapter, with a couple of chapters back, he thought they were going to take Titus out. They're going to treat him bad. They're going to do him like they did him. And so now, when I get to my lowest point, Titus show up. Man, Titus have made it back. They didn't kill Titus, because <laughs> Titus took the letter. They read the letter, and even though I kind of came at them hard, they didn't kill Titus. So that's why I tell the people, tell you, don't shoot the messenger. Amen. If you got an issue with something, find out who wrote the message. Not the person that's carrying the message. Anybody can be talked into being the messenger. They don't even know it sometimes. Some folks just get fair stuff to carry. Because they know, people know you're a carrier pigeon. You just carry but you don't want to be careful of something. You may get shot. <laughs> Y'all think I'm joking, don't you? Okay. So he's saying that God encouraged us by the arrival of titles. Look at this. His presence was a joy, but so was the news he brought to encourage, uh, when, the, that he brought of the encouragement he received from you when he told us how much you long to see us. Wow. I'm the guy y'all didn't like, but now y'all longing to see me? And how sorry you are for what happened. You, how y'all treat me while I was there? Y'all treat me like a dog. I'm going to ram out of town. And how loyal you are to me now. Oh, boy. Then he says, man, when he told me that, I was filled with joy. Even though y'all had put me through all that, when I found out that y'all had to have a change of heart toward me, he's saying, now I'm filled with joy. All that happened because a message came from Titus, and he brought it back, saying, man, those guys done had a change of heart. Paul, you can go back there now, and they're going to treat you like they love you. They're going to show you the love that you thought they should have been showing you. And so I go back to this thing here about the messenger. Sometimes there's nothing wrong with being a messenger because all of us are messengers in reality when it comes to getting the word of God out. We're messengers. We carry the gospel. We're messengers. And so therefore sometimes when you carry that message there is a possibility you could get shot. Amen. Sometimes you may have to carry this gospel in the hostile territory. You may have to live right in a hostile situation. And when you do that, there is a potential that there could be some backlash. I mean, I don't know how we can say we're Christians and want to represent Jesus and never want conflict. You're supposed to every now and then have some conflict with the world. The world ain't supposed to like you all the time. Because if they do, you're probably doing what they are doing. But when you act like God wants you that in the world, every now and then some flat's supposed to come your way. You don't look for the fight, but you definitely don't run from it. 
man. Oh, God. See, <laughs> we just saved, we love the Lord. No, you got to, Paul told you to put on some armor because you got to fight. Now, for everybody to sit here and act like y'all don't fight to defend some things that you believe in, you're just lying to yourself. You already got fight in you. It just depends on what you think you fight for. Amen. I got real quiet. I ain't going to give no examples. I know y'all went for the examples. I ain't, ain't going to give no examples. But, but you defend certain things that you believe in. And so all God is expecting us, you got to defend the hope that you believe in. You got to defend this gospel and then realize that sometimes there may be some consequences. Look what he says in verse 8. He says, I am not sorry. <laughs> I'm in fear with joy because I got some good news. But he said, look, I am not sorry that I sent that severe letter to you. <laughs> Man, I ain't sorry. I sent that severe letter to you. I was sorry at first. After I done wrote it, you hit the send button. See, I wish I could take it back, but it's, it's gone now. You just got to pray that it has the effect that you were expecting. He sent them a critical letter, and he hoped that that letter would change their heart. And when it changed their heart, he come back and say, man, and I'm glad I sent it now. <laughs> I ain't sorry. I am not sorry, let me read it again, that I sent that severe letter to you. And I'm not telling you to go write nobody no severe letter, but man, you know, if you know somebody that's just ain't doing what they're supposed to do and they're your friend, you got to talk to them. In, in some kind of way, if you, if you believe what you study and you know they're doing everything in the world against what you study and that's your friend, you got to talk to them. Amen. You ain't got to beat them down, but you just got to talk to them. You ain't got to give them no severe letter, but you got to talk to them. You owe it to them to talk to them. You got one of your partners cheating on his wife. You got to talk. You can't come here to striving and that be your best friend and you ain't got no problem with that. You got to. One of your friends cheating on her husband. You got to. Talk to him. You got to talk to him severely. Everybody let them do them. Let everybody do them. Well, they can't do them and be with you. <laughs> let them do I ain't trying. I ain't trying to get nobody business. Well, that's your best friend. Y'all can get that to you. That's what they call tough love. Amen. That's, that's a severe letter. You got to send them a severe text. Now, I know. Good morning. Glad to see everything going all right with you today. Hope you have a blessed, pray that you have a blessed day. No. 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 In accordance with, you know, James 5 and 4. You wrong. 
Y'all ain't going to do that. I'm just talking now. I'm just talking. I'm just, like you said, I'm preaching to the choir. Ain't nobody going to do that. Pastor, you up there crazy. You crazy. That ain't happening. That ain't happening. We don't roll like that today. We ain't doing no severe letters. We ain't talking no severe stuff. <laughs> he said, he said, but he says, Major, he said, I'm not sorry. You don't think he should have said that, Major? Get the mic, Major. Major said, Paul shouldn't have said that. Even though we say the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit, Paul shouldn't have said it. His, his letter did what it was supposed to do. He could have just left it alone. Hey, he could have left it at, I was filled with joy. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't have to say, I'm glad I was Oh, man, you know, that, that, that makes logical sense to us, but, you know, Paul said, these are the same guys, you know, he said, I ain't sorry I sent you that. He said, let me read on, he says, I am not sorry that I sent you that severe letter, that severe letter to you. Though I was sorry at first, Major, when I first sent it, I was kind of sorry. I said, man, I wonder was I too hard on him. Could I change that? Could I soften that up just a little bit? I wanted to send it, but I at first, it, can't, it, did, it did hit it, Major. He said, he, I mean, but then, first of all, he sent your boy Titus in the hostile with the letter. <laughs> you, 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 you didn't even go yourself. He in prison. He, he jailed up. He bound up. Then, so Titus brings the letter back and said, Hey, Paul, they changed, bro. Good news, they changed. <laughs> and now you're going to say, I ain't sorry I sent the letter. Because the letter did what it's supposed to do. But you <laughs> I love you. I'm filled with joy. And then you say, I'm glad I sent y'all sorry. You could I think sometimes, you know, in reality, I think all of us look back at some things and say, I probably could have left that out. But you said it now. You know, you've been talking to your wife or your husband, whatever. And you say something, you say, man, I could have. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I ain't had to say that. But now that I said it and, it and it got the results I wanted, I ain't sorry I said it. I mean, it got the results. It, it got, I was trying to get some results. And it got the results. But maybe you wouldn't say that. But Paul said, I don't know why he said, Major, we just believe that the Spirit inspired him to say that. He said, look, though I was sorry at first, for I know it was painful to you for a little while. Not forever, for a little while. Now I am glad I sent it. Not because it hurt you, Major, but because the pain caused you to repent and change your ways. Sometimes in order to get folk to change, it takes a little bit of pain. Amen. A little bit of discomfort. And so he says the result was that even though it was a tough letter, it caused you to take a look at yourself, and then after you reflected, you decided, hey, maybe I do need to change. And maybe that friend would you talk to, it may be tough, and it may say, man, yes, I should. Man, my wife is the best thing that ever happened to me. Why am I out here cheating on her? Then you can come back to her and say, man, I ain't sorry I gave you some tough love because in the end, you're still with your wife. You ain't got rid of your side chicks. They call them side pieces now, I think. 
just talking in the language that they use today. I'm just, I, I get that because I know folks listen to that. And, and if, if the world is doing it, there's somebody in the church trying to get a... Oh, let me move on. Okay, I'm sorry. I repeat for that one. I ain't sorry. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm just joking with y'all now. I'm trying to keep... Go ahead. Go, brother. Get me back on track, brother. Herb. Well, I kind of look at the same in the, in the sense of when, when God dealt with his people, Israel. I mean, he was harsh. He spanked them. He said, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to let you go and let, let the enemy whoop on you. And every now and then he comes back and says, hey, I had to do that. But now you changed your heart. You came back. So there's no more difference. I see the same thing, that God does the same thing to us and as he did with his people in Israel. Did the same thing. Very harsh. Amen. Sometimes he, I mean, yeah, you just study what he did when they disobeyed him. You can see that God, you know, he got their attention in various ways. And he used various instruments to get their attention. You know, he said, now look, he said, it was the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have so you were not harmed by us in any way. All, all it did was to remind you and to cause you to reflect and you had godless sorrow. He's talking about repentance now that result in actions being changed. Your friend can tell you I'm sorry because you confronted him for cheating on his wife, but if he's still doing it, he ain't godless sorrow. He's only godless sorrow when he say, hey man, it's gone, I'm through with it, you know, I'm going to live out my vows from this point on. So that's what he's saying. There's got to be some result when we repent. Because repent means the prefix return to a place that you were previously at. So normally when we start walking away from God, something is drawing us, something is pulling us, and at some point in time, somebody got to say, hey, you need to turn around and go back. Because the farther you get away from him, the more you're going to live like the world. And sometimes people need to know that. The farther you get away from the influence of people who love you and who know the Lord and who study and who come to church and who try to live right, the farther you get away from them, the more you're going to start acting like the folks you hang with. Brother Her? Yeah, say the same as, as you raising a child when they uh, not doing things they just shouldn't be doing and you uh, come to a punishment and uh, it comes to a point where uh, or how you punish them or you don't spare that rod. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that I think... Then you come back and say, you know, it hurt me, but you needed that. Yeah, in my generation, in our generation, Herb, that was the method. I, I don't know if everybody liked the rod terminology now. They, they don't, everybody don't like spanking their kids. I, I'm still a proponent of spanking little Johnny, you know, if he need it. I ain't just say beating him, but spanking him, doing something. I, I, I tell people, if you're going to discipline your children, don't discipline them with your hands. Don't get them the, the same hands that you love them with, that you give them a bath with, that you feed them with, that you hug them with. Shouldn't be the hand that you backhand them with. Get you an instrument of punishment. And you condition them so that when they see the instrument, they respond. 
No, I don't, I, everybody's going to discipline this a different way. I think you got different kids, you different, different ways. I don't believe that you ought to start off beating your kids. Okay? But at the same time, I don't know how you reason with a four-year-old. You know, when you say, that don't understand, hot, hot, hot. And you say, don't touch it, it's hot, real hot. So now, how he going to get the object lesson? You got, he got to understand and define what hot is, and you hope he get it. Little Johnny may get it, but Joe may say, I don't believe that. And so now Joe going to touch it. So would you rather him learn that lesson by burning his hand? Or if you know your little Joe, I know Joe, he ain't like Johnny, Joe going to touch it. So I'm going to have to hit Joe's hand and let him know that you can't touch that Joe, because I'm saying, Joe, you're going to touch it. And now all five fingers are going to be burnt. But I'm going to tap the hand and just hit you right here and teach you this lesson. Now, I'm, not, I'm just saying, that's Bolden's method of correction. Now, if you want to reason with Joe and Johnny and say, well, Johnny, you're going to get some blisters and you're going to be real hot. I'm going to have to put some ice on it. If it works for you and your children, you do what works for you. Get a mic, Major. I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm not a big fan. Oh God! <laughs> so now, I mean, what, a, what, what, the, what about the plug, though, Major? Go from the stove to the plug. Okay, but, but the first thing that we, we should do, I don't know, my method, not go, didn't I tell a beat him? <laughs> I mean, now, now I, I beat, beat him. Most kids, most kids go through the, the, that that season where they want to stick their finger in certain things. I mean, plugs touching the stove, it just happened with two or three-year-olds when they get that age, they get inquisitive and they start doing that. How you train them, you just got to train them. Whatever training means to you that's going to keep your child from getting electrocuted, you need to do that. I'd rather hit him on that hand and have a little whelp right there than to be buried him at three years old. Because I was afraid to train him and I tried to reason with him because he didn't understand electrical current and now he done got fried. Say, make you eat the word beat them. Well, let me. I'm just saying. Well, let me. Let me. Spanking. Let me. Well, I, I, maybe they got psychologists out there now that will disagree, agree one way or the other. But let me say, living proof, all I can say, it worked for my three. Because they got it. And, and they came out all right. They ain't walking around talking about they, you know, they mentally t PTSD and all that because no, I, I, when they when they needed it, I put it on them, and they were girls. But I'm not saying that was right. I'm just saying it worked for them, and they, and none of them have ever come back to me and say, Dad, I remember that whooping you gave me. They don't remember that stuff. Most kids forget that stuff. Yeah. Don't let Major be the only one hogging up the conversation. Now, y'all got children, some of y'all, come on, chime in, help me out. One way or another. However you raise your kids is your business. It's your business. I ain't got no problem with it. Brother Herb said spare the rod. Well, well, <laughs> I did. I just said spare the rod because it said it in the word. It said, uh, what, what is a rod? My hand's not a rod. What is a rod? 
He says in the word. And he says, your spirit arrived, it will, it will move far away from them. Now, back in the day, I said Old Testament, when a bad child come, they used to stone them to death. That's how bad it was, how God looked at that. They gave, he gave Israel, you know, the Jews, the permission. When the kid was bad, they used to stone them to death. Do we want to go back to that? No. No. We don't live that way. But that's how bad it was that they thought it was, you know, when the child was a poor child, well, not a poor child, but the child was bad, I mean, they stoned them to death. Back in, the, back in the, read the word, read, read, read the word. I don't think, I don't think it was that. Well, there was certain offense if a child did certain things against the parent. Not burn her hands. No, don't the, put your the, hand the on her. They didn't beat you. They didn't kill you because you put your hand on a fire. But you did something to a point where what we're talking about right now, of something in offense of this way, uh, <laughs> that that was serious enough that they will, they will put them out there and be stoned to death. Yeah. We live in a country now that that don't fly. That don't fly. You'll be in jail. You'll be in prison. Yeah, you, you, you can't. Foster care, beat them, came and got your kids, and, and you'll be locked up. You can't do that. But you, I'm you just know. saying it was, it was serious enough. It was serious. That's it right. It was serious enough that you don't want to see that kid, you know, or child, to act that way. That's how serious it was. Get it, get it out of them. Well, the best way they saw was take them out. But I will tell young parents today, you got to have a, a voice that your children understand when you're serious. Amen. Amen. Because sometimes all they're going to have to respond to is your words. And if they can't distinguish your serious voice, don't do that, I really mean it voice, versus when you're just doing your normal routines with them, then they ain't going to stop when they're running away from you and in danger because they don't understand that. you got to train them. And I'm not telling you how to train your kid, but the Bible is clear. Kids got to be trained. If you don't train them, the popo will train them. Amen. And they ain't going to ask them nicely, do you want to be tapped on your hand and all that? No, no, no. You're going to wish you had to put a little bit of whooping on them before you let them whoop them. And corporal punishment worked for us, so, you know, it'll work for them. Because <laughs> see, if you let little Johnny touch that stove and he go to daycare, somebody come and see you. Children and family will show up at your door and ask why little Johnny's hand is burning. <laughs> we don't want to know. We made you ask the question. We don't want to know. If if you if you if you, if you the question is, is everybody disciplining their kids? And then however they discipline them, that's fine. However, whatever's working for them. If it's sitting them down on the couch and giving them their iPad and you talk to them while they play with the iPad and they, and they learn it from you. If that's working for you, it's fine. But man, I'll tell you for me, my exam, my kids tell you, I used to hate it when we go to somebody's house and they decide they're going to cut the food when they're crawling all on other folks' furniture and running over there. That only happened one time. After that, no, you ain't going to never, you ain't going to never, man, you ain't going to tell nobody else. I mean, you, even if it's your grandmama's house, you, when I say sit down, you're going to sit down and if you don't, you're going to get it right there in front of everybody because you ain't going to do that for one time. But today, they probably call 411 on me or 911 and child service be at me because I punished them in front of grandmama. But that was just the way we did it. 
and, 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 and that's mild compared to what granddaddy did to me. Because I tell you all the time, granddaddy didn't take no tea for the fever. He didn't care. Whatever he had that was close by when you get in trouble with him, that's what you're going to get. I wish they had had child protective courage services back then, some of the beans we got. But granddad was there for us in hard times, man. I mean, he was, he was there. He, I guess that was just tough love. But I wouldn't recommend that type of punishment today. Kids today can't handle it. Every generation got their own weight to bear. Maybe our generation can't. Just like I don't believe I could have known what I know now, I don't think I could have handled slavery. Okay, let me move on. Let me read on. Let me read on. He said, now look, let me go back to verse 10 and read on because I got to finish. He says, for the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation, a change in behavior. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow, which lack repentance, result in spiritual death. In other words, if we don't change our ways, something's going to die on the inside of us spiritually. Physical death is coming to all of us one day. But he's saying, man, when we don't truly repent, you're going to start dying spiritually. The word ain't going to mean nothing to you no more. Your sense is going to become dull. You ain't going to want to hear scripture. You ain't going to want to do the things you've been doing. You're going to stop praying, stop coming to church, stop going to Bible study, stop doing all those things you do because your spirit is starting to die. And now it's happening to a lot of people who used to be faithful, but certain things that came in their life and their spirit is starting to, to die. Look at this. Just see what, what this godly sorrow produced in you. He said, look, man, that godly sorrow caused you to be earnest. You know, you got sincere about what you believe. And then he says, it caught such earnest, such concern. You start to be concerned about the things you do. To clear, you had a concern to clear yourself. Such indignation. You know, you, every now and then you got to get some righteous indignation against you. You got to get mad at you. You got to get angry at you. Amen. When you mess up, you got to get angry at You got to correct you. And he's saying, this letter help you guys did that. Y'all start looking at yourself and say, hey, we got to make some adjustments in our lives. Such alarm. You became aware of stuff now. You know that you just can't go hang out with the pagans and what, do what they do. You're aware now that hanging with them too much is going to influence you. You become a where? You're aware of your surroundings now. You're alarmed so that you know that, hey, I can go anywhere, but I ain't going to go in there with blinders on and not know what's going on around me and the influences that are there. He says, such longing to see me. In other words, now they got a strong desire to see him. Such zeal and a, such a readiness to punish wrong. Man, and, and, and today, just like with children, the church, we don't do that no more. You don't punish wrong. You just, you just, most churches are punished. They don't do no wrong. Ain't no wrong in the church. Everybody don't know. But the Bible says, you know, every now and then, when we do something wrong, you got to correct it. Punish don't mean you're going to beat nobody down. It just means you just got to correct it. But because uh, of, of the toughness of that, 
it is not easy to do. It's not. But this church got a conviction, and they started correcting themselves. He said, now, you showed that you have done everything necessary to make things right. Then it goes on and says, my purpose then was not to write about what you did wrong or who you wrong, who was wrong. We already, you know, we already know one of the issues they had from the first letter. He, he didn't bring it back up to him and throw it in their face. You know, he got on it because they wasn't doing nothing about the guy who was sleeping with his father's wife. He could have brought that back up right here. But he said, my purpose then was not to write about what you did wrong or who was wrong. I know the dude's name. I could have said, you know, I'm glad y'all got John straight. I wrote you so that in the sight of God, you could see for yourselves how loyal you are to us. Then he said this. We have been greatly encouraged by this. In addition to our own encouragement, we were especially delighted to see how happy Titus was about the way you all welcomed him and set his mind at ease. <laughs> Titus. I gave Titus the letter. I gave Major the letter to take the striving. And man, I'm praying all the while. And Major said, when he got there, man, I'm glad them folks are striving to kill me, man. I'm delighted that they didn't kill Major because he was just a messenger. He didn't write the letter. He was just delivering the letter. And Paul said, man, I put him in harm's way. And I'm glad. And I'm encouraged because y'all didn't, didn't beat him down. <laughs> it would have been, probably would have been a different letter, Major, if they had killed Titus. He would say, oh man, maybe I shouldn't have gave him that tough letter, but, but the Spirit gave him to write it, and it worked out to the good. He says, verse 14 through 16, and I'm done. He says, I had told him how proud I was of you, and that you didn't disappoint me, and you didn't disappoint me. I have always told you the truth, and now I, my boasting to Titus also has also proved true. Now he cares for you more than ever when he remembers the way all of you obeyed him and welcomed him with such reverence of fear and deep respect. Then he closed by saying, I am very happy now because I have complete confidence in you. And in order to appreciate that last couple of verses there, you really have to go back and read 1 Corinthians and read up until that point to see what he was really talking about. He said, man, for him to be able to make that last statement that I got confidence in you again, they had to get some things right in their life. Because, you, you know, it's almost like saying, if you know somebody that did some things wrong, and then all of a sudden now you get to the point where you say, man, almost like I trust you again. Kind of like if you're married and you've been cheating, and then your husband and your wife finally get to the point they don't seen enough repentance in you and change in you to know that you change. And then now they can say, well, you know, I got confidence in you again. And I tell people in marriage all the time, the person who has been hurt, the one who has been treated in a disloyal way, they have to set the terms for trust. If you're the guilty party, you can't go in with no demands and say, well, I'm going to do this and you're going to do it. No. 
No. No. You don't set the terms for me to trust you again. So here's rule number one. Every night, I get your phone. Pull the record. Every month, I'm going to look at the bill and see every number that you don't call. You ain't getting my bill. Wait, wait, wait. I set the grounds for trust. I'm just trying to help somebody. You can't let the violator <laughs> determine what he going to do or she going to do for you to trust them. Because I say that because in a relationship, trust weighs heavy. And if you can't trust the person that you got to live with the rest of your life, you're going to be miserable. Amen. I don't care how much you throw the love around. I love it. I love it. Love ought to come with some trust. Amen. I can't be with you 24-7. You can't be with me 24-7. So therefore, we got to trust each other. And I ain't just talking about what other things. I'm just talking about sometimes you got to trust each other with your finances. You can't be, I can't let him see what I made. Wait, wait a minute. You ain't got to put it all in his name and nothing like that. But at least he ought to know what you, and she ought to know what you. I know because I know a lot of young couples now, in the old days, that was understood. But nowadays, because, you know, both parties are working and both of them could be, you know, breadwinners in their own right, but they still got to be one. Especially if you finna marry somebody that got some assets. Y'all got to decide how, we, how this thing going to work out. Maybe you say one account. If you trust them, you'll go one account. But if you got some things in your mind that you know, <laughs> you don't trust them, and you ain't gonna, you know, uh, let me move on. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I ain't gonna go there. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, even 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 we in the world, man, you didn't trust everybody with your money. I mean, you you that's the truth. You didn't trust everybody with your money, man. I trust you with a lot of things, but I ain't gonna, I ain't gonna trust you. I ain't gonna trust you with my money. But the gist of what Paul was saying tonight as we close is that, man, he was so happy that this church that you would have thought that he should have gave up on finally kind of got the message and turned around and repented and started trying to live right. And, and I encourage you, if you haven't read 1 Corinthians, you know, get some time in your leisure, go back and read it, then bleed right on over into 2 Corinthians, and you kind of follow the storyline why this chapter is so important when they repent. Because, they, man, these guys, whew, this was a rough church. This was a rough church. I'm so glad striving ain't like the Corinthian church, man, but this was a rough church. But in the midst of that, he didn't quit. And sometimes I think when things get tough for Christians today, a lot of Christians are quitting. They're quitting the race, quitting everything, just giving up. And so we need to encourage people they got to stay in the fight because God never said it was going to be easy, but he did guarantee us that we can win. And we just got to hold on to that winner's attitude even in the midst of the fight. Amen? Well, I thank you all tonight. You know, we got...